This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. If you'd like, take a moment to turn here. There are Bibles in your cubes. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Again, tonight's passage is Luke 7, verses 1 through 10. Please stand if you are able for the reading of God's Word. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to El- he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even Israel have found not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the word of God for the people of God. We are looking at the kingdom of God and the, the gospel of Luke in early 2020. And um, we're looking at a different aspect of the kingdom of God every week. And I think this aspect is uh, the importance of faith. And really, faith is the key that unlocks the door to the kingdom. It's how you walk in. It's, how you, it's also how you continue to walk in the kingdom. But, but uh, if you're not sure if you have faith or not or what faith looks like or not... Um, or if you have a friend or a family member, you're not sure if they have faith or not. Because it's helpful to see kind of these two key elements of faith. And the faith of this guy in the passage is so stunning that, uh, that Jesus is actually amazed by it. Which is amazing that the Son of God, like God incarnate, would become a human, see this thing happen. It says he marvels, which is a really strong word to use for someone who you would think would very rarely be surprised. But it does say that in verse 9, when Jesus... He heard about what the centurion was saying. It says he marveled. And he turns to the crowd. He says, I can't believe what I'm hearing here. I cannot believe what this guy's faith must be like. He hasn't even met the guy. But uh, 
It seems to have taken his breath away. Like he just got, he, was, he just was frozen by this. In fact, he turns and then changes direction and goes to, to, the, to the guy. But um, he says in verse 9, this is part of why he was so amazed. He says, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And the reason that he says that is because the centurion is not an Israelite. Uh, if you know anything about first century uh, Roman history, you know that centurions were the opposite of an Israel. The centurions were the enemy of Israel. They were the stormtroopers of Rome. So this would be the least likely person to have faith. Um, the scene in, in the, uh, the Star Wars 7, The Force Awakens, where Finn is uh, a stormtrooper and he, he becomes a part of the, alliance, you know, the, the rebellion against the Empire. Um, and eventually seems like he might have some kind of element of faith, if you will. That's the closest thing. But then in that case, Finn was not even really that opposed to the, um, to the, the rebels. Um, so it's not even a good example. This centurion would have been a, a violent man um, who would have been keeping the peace in Capernaum in a way that was, um, that was not pleasant for the, the Jewish people. And so it's amazing that he would have this faith. It's amazing that Jesus would marvel at him in particular. And uh, if, you, if you think about the Gospel of Luke, we've seen you know, tax collectors and uh, prostitutes and sinners, um, all sorts of people come into the kingdom that you wouldn't expect to be in the kingdom. And this guy kind of takes the cake that a centurion would come into the kingdom is another shocking thing. But this goes back to this main theme in Luke that Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So I want to look at this combination which is the odd thing about faith. On the one hand, uh, faith says um, I'm unworthy. And uh, faith says uh, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Uh, like the, the centurion, I, I am not worthy to have you under my roof. That's part of faith. The other part is the boldness where he says, even though um, I don't have any worth in myself to have you under my roof, ne- nevertheless, just say the word and my servant will be healed. So the centurion balances those two things of the unworthiness on the one hand, but then this boldness on the other hand to ask Jesus and to trust that Jesus not only can, but wants to heal. It's that combination of things I want to look at. So first of all, that it's humble and then that it's bold. Uh, it says in verse four, they came to Jesus. This is the, uh, the Jewish leadership of Capernaum. These are the most respected, pious, devout people in all of Capernaum. And they come to Jesus, they plead with him earnestly. There's a centurion, and he loves our nation. He loves the people of Israel. He, he built our synagogue. He loves his servant. He is worthy to have you do this for him. Uh, he is worthy to have you do this for him. And in a way, that is, uh, that is impressive that they would say that, because after all, this is an outsider. This is an enemy. It's, uh, it's, it shows uh, that there's a lot of humility in them, that they would have this sense of his worthiness. But on the other hand, um, they're totally wrong. And it's somewhat the essence of human religion to think that being worthy is part of faith. We tend to think that if you're worthy, that means you have faith. But the the centurion completely contradicts them. They've just said that he's worthy in verse 4. And then he says in verse 6, and he doesn't know what they were saying to Jesus, but he said to the to them in verse 6, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. I am not the great guy that they think that I am. You know, I, maybe I built the synagogue. Uh, maybe I love the nation. Maybe I love my servant. But he's like, my household is unfit for your presence. He knows his heart well enough 
He knows what goes through his mind. I hope that you might as well. He has enough self-awareness to know that in no way at all do his good deeds mean that he is worthy. Although he's trying in humility to to do what is right, uh, he knows that he's not worthy. In fact, in verse 7, not only is he not worthy to to have Jesus come under his roof, but he says, I'm not even worthy to come and stand in your presence. Verse 7 goes farther. I do not even presume to be able to come to you. So it's not just don't come to my house, but I'm not even worthy to be with you. Like I cannot stand in the presence of you because you're so holy and I'm so unholy. And there's such a gap that I'm not worthy. And that might sound like uh, a lack of... uh, of health to you. It might sound unhealthy, like an inferiority complex, or he has low self-esteem. And, you know, someone today might try to counsel him that he's better than he thinks he is. But, but Jesus doesn't have that response to him at all. Jesus marvels that he, that he is like this. A man who seems so good and noble and honorable, and yet who knows that he is so unworthy, who, who says that twice, uh, Jesus marvels at that. And people who have real faith, Uh, Not a pretend faith, not like a a civic virtue kind of faith, um, but real faith. They always know that they're not worthy. Um, The people like a Mother Teresa, a Francis Francis of Assisi, uh, these are people who, when you ask them, are are they good people? They say, no, not at all. Or take Isaiah. When Isaiah, the prophet, who wrote perhaps the greatest book of the Old Testament, when he actually met God face to face in the temple, he says, woe to me, I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. In other words, we, our speech is corrupt. And now my eyes are seeing the king, and he repents. Woe to me, I am lost. And then when Peter, this is just a few chapters ago, when Peter realizes who Jesus is, and that he's standing in the presence of Jesus, and that he's just made fun of Jesus and been real snarky and cynical, um, Peter says, go away from me, Lord. I cannot have you in my presence. I can't stand in your presence because I am a sinful man. That's Luke 5, 8. So Isaiah and, and Peter and I think all of the great saints throughout the history of the church are people who know they are not worthy. And if you've ever had this experience with God, you know that it's not a terrible thing at all. It's not something to avoid at all. The experience of having this sense of profound unworthiness before God is a great thing. And I wish it had happened to me more times in my life. I pray for it. You should pray for it. To have such an experience of the presence of God that you feel completely annihilated in his presence. This is not the, the chummy, uh, casual view of a God who um, you know, would tell you, you know, you're, you're worthy and you do so many good things for so many people and you deserve my blessings. That's not the God of the Bible. It's another God. Um, we say things like, you know, you're such a faithful Christian. You've been so kind to me and to other people I know, and it's not fair that you're suffering this much. We say things like that, and, and I understand the sentiment. I've said things like that, but if you really are literal about it, it's not true. Um, it's, a, it's a false thing to say. It's not fair that you're suffering so much. No one's worthy. Uh, no one deserves anything before God, not even his presence. You know, the centurion would say, building the synagogue, my love for the nation, all these things I've done, they're filthy rags. That's what Isaiah calls his good deeds, filthy rags. And so that's the first point, that faith starts with humility. Uh, You owe me nothing, not even your presence. And I think the closest thing that someone might experience in in just nature without an experience of God is when you experience nature and all of her wrath. 
Like if you were anywhere near Walkertown on Friday and that, uh, I think it was Friday, that tornado hit, or even in some part of Winston-Salem that was near those 120 mile per hour winds, if you've experienced anything like that, you have that same profound sense of, uh, of being nothing, of, um, of being dust, and in grave danger of this awesome and mighty force. If you've been to the Grand Canyon or um, in Zion National Park, um, there's, this, there's this hike, the Angels Landing Hike, and you know, thousands of feet straight down on either side. The Cliffs of Moore in Ireland, I mean, where have you seen 30 feet, uh, 30 foot waves, things like that. Those are the experiences you have that are, that are just tiny little tastes of the holiness of God, where you say, I'm not worthy. But that's point one, I'm not worthy, verse 7a. But then that does not lead to the conclusion that I don't know if God really loves me or not. It does not lead to the conclusion I am not going to be bold before God, or I'm going to be timid um, or tepid in my faith. Uh, in, in 7b, he says, just say the word. So he has this confidence in God. It's not self-confidence. Uh, that would be the opposite of what we just said. It's, it's, it's a God confidence. It's a confidence in God's love in spite of my unworthiness. Just say the word and he will be healed. You don't even need to come anywhere near me. That's what he says in verse 7. Just say the word. I don't even need you to be here. I mean, there were other healers in Jesus' day, so um, there were other itinerant uh, prophets and shaman and priests that would go around and they would heal people. But if you read accounts of these people and other uh, Josephus and things like that, um, other writings of this time, they would uh, have these elaborate rituals. They would lay their hands on, they might even lie on the, their bodies. They would use potions and all sorts of things. And, uh, and so it was a totally different deal than what we're talking about here, because in this case, Jesus just says things. In fact, he just thinks things. Uh, there's no physical contact here. There's, there's, no, there's no wire connecting Jesus to the guy, the servant. Uh, it's more like Bluetooth, but with a huge range of uh, you know, miles and miles between Jesus and the guy. There's some, some magical thing between the thoughts of this man and the, the health of the servant. Where the centurion intuits the power. He somehow knows that Christ has this overwhelming authority. And the centurion is very bold about laying claim to that authority. He says this amazing thing in verse 8. I am also a man. Now remember, he's not telling Jesus this. He's telling the servants this. They're going to go and talk to Jesus. Uh, he says to his servants, go tell him that I am also a man with authority. I've got soldiers under me. This is verse 8. Uh, I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And uh, what he's saying there is that I, I tell my people to move, and they move. Because I'm a centurion. And the Roman army, you do what the centurion says. Immediately. No questions. That, yes, sir. And he's saying that uh, in the same way that I have that power over my men, you have that power over everything. You have that power over human sickness. You have that power over the human body in, all, in every facet. You have entire authority. I'm a man of authority. You have, you're a man of authority. And so in verse 10, as soon as Jesus says the word, it says they found him well. The servant was well. So when Jesus speaks, um, sickness leaves. When Jesus speaks, people are healed just by the word. Like when God said, let there be light and there's light. Uh, Jesus says things like God and they happen. In fact, uh, the story right before this 
I mean, the, literally, the story right before this is in Luke seven fourteen, where Jesus says uh, to this dead teenage boy with his mom, who is a widow, he says, um, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead boy sat up. That's Luke seven fourteen. So not only does he have the power to speak to death, uh, to, to sickness, he has the power to speak to death, to the ultimate sickness, to the end of life. And he can say to someone who's dead, uh, rise up, and they rise up. He says to Lazarus, uh, Lazarus, come out of the grave. And it says the dead man came out, and his hands and feet were bound in grave clothes, and his face was wrapped in a headcloth. So he has authority over everything. And we can ask anything of him. And our unworthiness should not in any way limit our confidence in him and in his care for us. The centurion knows that somehow that Jesus has uh, his best interests at heart. And so we can be both very unworthy and very bold at the same time. And, and Austin's about to unveil some pretty bold plans. And um, the only way they're going to happen is this kind of bold prayer right here that is going on in this passage where they plead earnestly. They plead earnestly with Jesus um, in verse 4. And that's all we can do as far as the, the plans we're about to, to lay out to you. Um, we do not presume any worth on our part. Like we're a great church or we're great leaders. We're great servant leaders. We're great elders. You know, we've saved carefully. We've prayed so much and we've planned so thoroughly and we're moving forward so wisely and the process is so perfect. That's not the reason uh, that we're saying any of these things we're about to say. Um, all we do, we're crying out for mercy. And as we move forward and try to, to um, enact some of these things, again, we just, it's just about prayer, as it has always been in our church. Our church has always moved forward uh, with simple desperation and prayer. And that will be true uh, from this, this point forward. Uh, the combination of, uh, on the one hand, not worthy. But on the other hand, you know, don't, don't say, well, I don't really know if God loves me or I don't really know if I'm going to go to heaven. I talked to some Christians, they'd say, I'm not even, I don't know if I deserve to go to heaven. Like, I'm not sure if I'll go there. I have like a 70% chance or maybe um, someone will pray for me after I die. But that's not the way the Bible speaks at all. Totally unworthy, but completely loved and boldly claiming the love that this centurion claims, pleading earnestly. And we don't come down to this table because we're morally fit, uh, because we're healthy or spiritually fit. We come down to this table because we are actually sick. Going back to what Jesus said, uh, I did not come to call uh, the righteous but sinners. I did not come for the healthy but for the sick. And no one brings anything to this table. Um, no one brings any cash down here. Uh, the off- you don't put the off- your money in the offering and then get the get this bread and the wine. It's not like that. There's no credit cards, no Apple Pay, nothing do we bring, and God just gives us himself. So this is the very essence of faith right here at this table. Uh, that on the night he was betrayed, our Lord's bread and broke it, and he said, this is my body broken.